service this morning um there we go you can hear me now i won't yell at you anymore promise um you know this morning uh, as we before you're baptizing these individuals that have come um hang on a second uh, this is going
we stand to sing the truth that we just saw lived out through baptism that Jesus paid it all. Hear the Savior sing thy strength indeed is small shout of weakness watch and pray finding
King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings, two to cover their faces and two to cover their feet, and two he flew. And the one cried out to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am a man lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. How will you respond at the presence of the Lord here today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing a new song to 
does today. Oh, 
displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced, though heaven had lost. And Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Sing it again. That's when death was arrested and my life began. For oh, your grace I hope you believe that this morning. And as you are seated, we're going to pray and spend some time in prayer this morning. But um, I want to encourage you to come if you want to pray here at the front uh, along with me. And uh, you can come on now. Um, but we're going to pray in light of that song, but the songs we've been singing. You know, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul suffered a lot. The Apostle Paul struggled a lot uh, in his ministry. But one of the things he said very clearly, clearly, to, uh, clearly to us in Romans chapter 8 as he was writing to the church in Rome, this is what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave, up, uh, gave us up for us all, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us, meaning he's praying for you this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, anyone have distress in your life? Shall persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, quote, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. loved us in the past. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything 
else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. An incredible ending to an incredible passage or a chapter, Romans chapter 8. Um, let's pray together in light of that. Let's live in light of that. And let's talk to the Lord in light of that this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for bringing us to this point. Um, we know that you are God. We just walk outside and we see creation and we look at our lives and we see uh, just beauty and design everywhere we look. We know that there is a God. We know that you're real. We also know your purpose and plan for our lives. We understand that when we open the Bible, your word to us, we understand who we are. We also understand who you are, more importantly. And we also understand what you did for us. We've been singing in light of that. We've seen a baptism today, Lord, in light of all that you've done for us through your Son, by Father sending your Son into the world, and Jesus, you being obedient to go to the cross on our behalf, all because of your love for us. Love that's been poured out upon our life, love that's been poured into our life. Your word says that our hearts and our minds and our lives are filled with your love. We are all recipients of your grace. We are all recipients of your mercy, your love. Because of that, God, you've given us joy. You've given us reason to get up this morning. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what struggles or difficulties or unanswered questions that we have about life, we get up and we look to you because, God, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And we can't see beyond the horizon. We can't begin to understand your ways or your thoughts. We can't begin to understand why you allow things to happen in our lives or that you intentionally do things in our life. Lord, we don't understand fully, but you do. You have a purpose and a plan for our life, and we believe that this morning. We're a people, we're a congregation, we're a church that believes that today. We declare that with confidence, with conviction. We believe that you're here. We believe that, Holy Spirit, you are at work in our church this morning. You're at work in the hearts and minds of everyone around us this morning, to our left and to our right, behind us and in front of us. We do thank you for your word, for Lord, without it, we would be in darkness, complete and utter darkness. We wouldn't understand life. We wouldn't understand family. We wouldn't understand the tragedies and the suffering and the struggles of life, both in our own lives and the lives of others. But your word points us to the light. It points us to you, Jesus. Because, Jesus, you've done for us what we could never do for ourselves, Lord, you give us hope this morning, incredible hope. We read a passage like that, and it, provide, it, it promises us hope. It reminds us, Lord, that there is nothing in this world, nothing in this life, no tear that is shed, no difficulty that we face internally that no one else knows about or externally that everybody knows about, Lord, that is too great to overcome or to somehow circumvent your grace and your mercy and your love. So we thank you for that, how you point us to yourself, how you point us to what you've done for us in your word. This morning, we're sinners. We're broken people. We don't have to convince each other of that, Lord, and we certainly don't have to convince you of that. You know what's in our hearts and our minds. You know what we think about. You know where we are right now. This morning, we confess and we repent of our sins. 
as believers in this room, we give it to you. We lay them at your feet. We lay our pride at your feet. All of the things that we're struggling with when it comes to sin, we lay it at your feet and we claim the victory that you have over us through the cross of Jesus. We claim that this morning and we claim your forgiveness this morning. We don't have to ask you for it. We claim it because your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins through our Lord Jesus. So we thank you this morning for the work you've done on the cross, Jesus. We pray this morning that you'd open our hearts, open our minds to the things you want us to see and hear. Encourage us this morning, God. Many in this room are discouraged. Many in this room, Lord, many of us struggle with certain things in our minds and in our hearts right now, Lord. Encourage us with your word. Encourage us with your presence. Point us to you. Point us to your truth. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you can return to your seats this morning. It's good to be with you again. I promise I won't splash water on you from here. Sorry, choir, those of you who got wet, I'm sure I'll hear about it later. That's all right. Hey, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 again. We continue to walk through this incredible book. It's only four small chapters, but it is a, uh, an incredible um, uh, just uh, mine of things that God wants us to understand and see when it comes to his word and when it comes to what it means to be the church. Um, you know the where we've been, we're looking, of course, in the book of, of uh, Philippians, this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Um, he, of course, was writing to encourage them. He was writing to encourage them to have joy and to be reminded of the joy that they have in gospel unity and gospel living. That's what God wants us to understand as well. That's what God has called us to understand, to He's given us this incredible joy as Christians, no matter what we experience in our life. But he then, of course, challenges the church in Philippi, as Paul does, and as God does in, in our lives as we read this entire letter or book of the Bible, uh, to live worthy of that gospel that he has changed us with. Live worthy. It's not a matter of knowing about it. It's not a matter of knowing it and understanding it, but to live worthy of that particular gospel. So we began praising the Philippians, as we saw a week ago thanking them, talking about his own prayer life, sharing about what God was doing in his own prayer life. But check this out. We're going to look at the next passage this morning, and we see that in chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And this is what Paul says to them. He says this, after he praises them, after he thanks them, after he's praising them and, 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 and praying for them, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that what my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my prison imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, oh, I rejoice. 
You know, when I was a kid, we learned this song, and if you're a kid and you don't know this song, then those of you who are teachers in our church need to teach it to them. This little light of mine, y'all know it, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, right? And then there's that power in the, in, the, in the story or in the song that says, hide it under a bushel what? Say it again, hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, right? We know this song. You know, that song comes actually from the book of Matthew. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says. He says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, under, but, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's the thing that Paul wants the church to understand in Philippi. Here is Paul under house arrest. He's locked up. He cannot go freely and share the gospel anymore. He cannot go into synagogue. He cannot go from town to town. He cannot go from city to city. Most believe he's in the city of Rome at this point, and he's locked up. But when he writes to the church in Philippi, he wants them to have joy and rejoice. Why? Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has continued to advance. Now listen, what Paul wanted them to understand is what God wants us to understand in our own own everyday life. That preaching the gospel is what matters in life and ministry. Preaching the gospel is what matters in life and ministry. And I'm not talking about a professional preacher on a stage somewhere, okay? I'm talking about our lives are to be a living testimony of the goodness of God, of what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts and in our lives. We are to consistently share this testimony of what God is doing and what he has done and what he's going to do in our lives. Preaching the gospel is what matters in life and in ministry. The heart of everything God wants you to understand about life, it is that we are to preach the gospel. No matter what experience, no matter what circumstance you go through in your life, then you are to proclaim the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus Christ. We are to be the shining light of the gospel wherever we might go. As Paul begins this letter, and as he's writing this letter to them, he's saying, above all of his circumstances, good or bad, challenging or non-challenging, what he wants them to understand is that regardless of what he's experiencing, regardless of what we might experience, what's most important above any kind of suffering or struggle he might have in his life, above any kind of struggle or suffering that we might have in our life, that the gospel is preached, that it goes out from our lives, that we share, we point people to Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods, in our community, in in our schools, in our place of work, in our place of travel, across the world. If God sends us on a business trip or on a vacation trip, on a cruise ship, I'm to share the good news of Jesus Christ and point people to Jesus Christ. That is what God wants me to do. What Paul says here to the church, and now we're just going to point out two very quick things about why the gospel matters. Paul said the gospel matters above all things in his life. The gospel ought to matter above all things in, in our church's life. The, the, the gospel ought to matter in, in every way to our lives as individuals. And first and foremost, what Paul points out to the church, what God points out to us, is that it matters even when you experience adversity. How many of us gone through difficult things in our life? I mean, all of us. Think about it. You might be experiencing and going through a very difficult season in your life right now. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe you're struggling with depression. You're struggling with discouragement. 
you may have everything you're doing is failing and you feel like a failure, you may experience this high and then all of a sudden you feel a low or you sense a low or some kind of a season ends up taking place in your life that brings you all the way down and we're up and we're down in our hearts and our minds, we're all over the place because there are things that always happen to us in our life. Some are are, are brought on by our own decision making, some are brought on by the decision making of others that we have no, we have no, um, Uh, help with, or we have no responsibility for in that way. What Paul says here is that he's going through a very difficult time. Paul knew that when the church wrote to him, I want you to look with me at these these first few verses of this passage. Paul understood and he knew that the Philippians were concerned about his well-being. As they sent and wrote and gave him a, a gift we're going to see that in Philippians chapter 4. They sent Epaphroditus, a man from their church, to bring a financial gift to Paul to help him along the way. They wanted to encourage Paul. They, they knew about his ministry. They supported his ministry through prayer and through, through financial giving. They were supporting him. They were supporting him through prayer and encouragement in every way. They knew about his well-being. They knew he was under house arrest. They were concerned about that. They were partners in the gospel. We saw that a week ago. As Paul is reporting to them, he's understanding that they had this outsider's perspective, if you will, of adversity. But notice the focus of Paul's words here. He says this, look at verse 12 again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really what? Served to advance the gospel. Now, what is missing here is a laundry list of Paul's emotions and feelings. What is missing here is the desire for Paul, for the church, for pity, What's what's missing here are the minute details of how he feels and what he's experiencing and his suffering and the specific things that he has been um, uh, that has has that has been withheld from him, the things that you and I enjoy every day, the freedoms that we enjoy every day. There is no laundry list of emotions. There is no laundry list of problems. There is no seeking of pity by Paul. Paul places the focus, though, on the spread of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. That's why at the end of verse 12, that's what he says. Hey, listen, y'all know about me. Y'all know what's going on in my life. You know I'm in prison, but it's all really really there to serve, to advance the gospel at the end of verse 12, which is really interesting. It's really fascinating. Why does he bring that up? Well, he brings that up because of verse 13 and 14, and he lays out two particular implications of why he has been locked up in his imprisonment. Notice there's this outward or this, in, this, this outward effect, and there has been an internal or an insider's perspective that's taken place as, as a result of Paul's imprisonment. And look at the first one there in verse 13. Paul says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for." Christ. You know what the imperial guard were? They were the praetorian of the Roman soldiers, some 9,000 strong. They were the best of the best in the Roman Empire. They were the elite soldiers in the Roman Empire. He's saying the imperial guard who were there to, to hold him and to secure him in his home, oh, they knew and understood why he was in prison. It wasn't that he was in prison for breaking and entering or stealing a Uh, something from someone, or killing someone, or wreaking havoc in the city of Philippi. He was simply there because he followed Jesus. He was simply there because he loved Jesus and because he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't do it in an annoying way, by the way. Paul didn't go around, you know, screaming at people in their faces, did he? 
No, Paul just simply went into synagogues. He loved people. Oh, he hung out at the riverside with individuals. Oh, he, he, he helped a little slave girl. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he didn't even escape from prison when he was uh, uh, wrongly uh, thrown in jail and could have gotten out on his own. He didn't, he, no, no, Paul, Paul's in prison, not because he's, you know, from a, from a standpoint of Philippi, he's in prison here in Rome simply because of sharing the good news of Jesus. Now, that's the first effect. Notice the second effect in verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers, meaning Christians that are around them, him in Rome or in other places across that region, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, as much more bold to speak the word without fear. There was the outside effect. The Roman soldiers saw, they witnessed, they knew and understood what was going on in Paul's life. But there was also this internal uh, um, uh, encouragement to Christians who, who were in tough places. They were in tough places. Maybe they're the only Christian in their family. Maybe they were the only two Christian men or two Christian women in a particular setting, and, and, and they're trying to decide, should I speak up? Should I share? Should I talk about Jesus? Should I, should I in, you know, influence my family member or my best friend? Or should I speak into that space and talk to someone about Jesus Christ? And then they looked at Paul, and they said, well, well, well hang on. Why am I so fearful? Why am I thinking about this? Because Paul's over they're sitting in prison, and, he, and he, he's under house arrest simply because he's preached, preached the gospel and talked to people about Jesus Christ. Who am I to be worried about what other, someone else thinks about me? And it was actually encouraging other brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ there in verse 14 to proclaim, to talk to, to influence others for Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, in verse 12, listen, there is this advancement of the gospel. Let me tell you how. The Praetorian Guard, the best of the best throughout all of the Roman Empire, there in Rome and in other places, know and understand why I'm under house arrest. It pointed them to Jesus. But, but it also pointed the Christians, the brothers, the other Christian men and women who, who were followers of Jesus Christ, who were trying to understand or, or decide whether to speak up, to boldly continue to speak up and to share the good news of Jesus with others. Here's the thing. Why bring all of this up? Because what Paul, in the mind and the heart of Paul is this, how will they know apart from me being in jail? How will the Praetorian Guard know? How would the, 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 those who are the pagan soldiers know and understand about Jesus Christ apart from me being in jail? That's going through the mind and the heart of Paul. How would the brothers in Christ be encouraged and emboldened to have the courage to share the good news of Jesus with others apart from me being in jail. You see Paul's perspective. He knew and understood that his circumstances were crummy. <laughs> he knew and understood that he was in jail, that he was suffering, that he was struggling simply because he was telling people about Jesus Christ. But he also understood that the advancement of the gospel is what mattered in Paul's life. It's what mattered, that they would be reached. You see, we don't tend to see how God uses our adversity. We, we don't tend to see how God uses our suffering and struggles in everyday life in order to advance his kingdom. But what God does is he somehow allows these things to happen in our life, to go through these seasons of struggle and so forth, to get the people who are around us, the people who love us the most, to be fixated upon our situation. And then we have a platform to be able to bear testimony about all that we have seen and heard in Jesus. Jesus Christ. And that's what is mattered. That's what matters here. 
many years ago, about 26 years ago, I can't believe it's 26 years now, but it was on my first ever international mission trip and I end up in Russia just a few years after the Soviet Union had fallen in, Soviet, in the Soviet, former Soviet Union, now Russia. We fly into Moscow, and there was a group of 25 of us, and we broke up into teams of four and five. I was younger at the time in college, and I, I end up going up to this particular city north of Moscow, about eight or nine hours north of Moscow, and we come into the city, and there was a church, a beautiful church that had been built. It was a beautiful structure, and there was a pastor who had been there for many years. In fact, generationally speaking, his, pa- his father and grandfather had pastored this church, and they had since gone on to be with the Lord. And here's this man and his incredible family, and they took us in. It was the first time, one of the first times I ever had an ch- opportunity to preach. In fact, I still have these sermons. They're awful. <laughs> They're like ye- on a yellow legal pad, and I would literally write them all out, and I'm speaking through a translator, and I'm doing my best because I'd never really preached before, and I'm preaching. I still have them to this day, and I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, how in the world did it God do anything through that? But anyway, I find myself in this town and I'm preaching, and, and um, I'm with some other folks, and I'm preaching through this, through this translator. And we inevitably found ourselves at the, in, the, in the evenings going to this home <clears throat> of the pastor and his, his wife and family, very humble family. And I'll never forget the very first time that I learned of this. He shares with us around the table, and you would have never known it because he was so joyful and smile on his face at all times, but... He shared with us how just two years before he had been let out of prison. And he had been in prison for about eight years. His wife and his family would come and visit him, but he had been let out of prison two years prior to me now sitting at his, his dining room table. You know why he was in prison? Because he was a gospel preacher preaching the gospel in Russia. The Soviets had sent him into Siberia for eight years. And he didn't get to see his family very often. He suffered there in prison. But as he was telling us about this story, about this, this incredible season of his life, he also told us that his father and his grandfather had also been in prison for 30-plus years pre- preaching the gospel in the former Soviet Union. And here I am as a college student, not knowing what in the world I'm doing, but I'm sitting here at this table, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm looking at third-generation prisoner for simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And there he sat with a smile on his face, just praising the Lord about what God had done. All of his kids praising the Lord, his family praising the Lord about God's goodness and his grace because communism had fallen in the country. And they were at that point a little bit more free to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded that, listen, in everyday life, our adversity and any kind of persecution for following Jesus or struggle in your life, God uses it. He, he, He uses it to point people to Jesus Christ. Paul's report here in these at the beginning of this text is focused on what mattered the most, advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. Their concern was about his well-being. His concern was about whether people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of it. You see, that is the the, the ultimate reason why in which we do life and we do ministry. We understand that that we understand that, that, that what matters in life is whether someone is hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what mattered to Paul. That's what mattered to Paul, and that's what he wanted to leave behind. No matter where he was, no matter what he experienced, no matter whether it was a good or, or challenging season in his life, he wanted to leave behind the good news of the gospel of Jesus. 
I just want to remind you this morning that if you step out in faith to follow Jesus, listen, let me say this to you. If you don't talk about Jesus Christ and you don't talk about your faith, Satan will absolutely leave you alone. He didn't care about you. He does not care about you. He wants you just to coast through life. He wants you just to coast through getting a job, making money, living your life, retiring, doing vacation, and dying. He's not going to mess with you. But if you begin to step out in faith and do things for the Lord that are uncomfortable for you, or if you step out in faith and actually try to talk to someone about Jesus Christ, or if you try to step out in faith and confront someone about the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, he will attack you like no other. He will come at you. And he may not come at you like this and knock on your door. He will plant seeds of doubt and discouragement, and he will attack you emotionally. He will attack you spiritually. He will attack you physically. He will attack you in different ways, and he will do everything he can to get you to stop feeling this affection for Jesus Christ to consistently follow him. If you don't follow him publicly or step out in faith and do things for him that are uncomfortable, Satan will leave you alone. But if you step out in faith and start to to be obedient, to follow him, there will be this enemy that will attack you. There will be this warfare that will take place. But there is good news because Satan doesn't win. And anything God commands us to do and encourages us to do and steps us, wants us to step out in faith to do, he enables us to do it. And there is this incredible joy as in the life of Paul, as in the life of the pastor sitting across the table from me 26 years ago, that everything we do for the Lord matters. And it is a value in every way. Don't miss the power of an identifiable, visible witness for Jesus Christ. How you suffer matters. The outside world's watching you. There are those around you who are followers of Jesus Christ that are emboldened when you bear testimony about what you've said and what you've, what you've done. What matters is, how, is not how good or bad you're treated. What matters is whether we consistently share the good news of Jesus Christ even in the face of adversity. Paul says, listen, the good news matters. The gospel matters when you experience adversity. He says this to the church, but he also says this secondly, that the gospel matters even when there is envy and even wrong motives that are taking place. I mean, check this out. Look at what he says there in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul's thinking about in verse 14, he's thinking about this group of people that are faithful, that are, he's thinking about, that the gospel's consistently growing. He's thinking about this church in Philippi, but he's also thinking about the two groups that have formulated in light of the fact that he is in prison. I mean, the gospel and what what people do is all, not all alike. There are some who have good intentions, as in what Paul points out to the church here. There are some who don't have good intentions. See, this first group, and it's separated here in this text, this, it's separated in how they viewed Paul and what they were motivated by. And they were motivated by um, how they viewed him and his critics. Paul certainly had his critics. This first group in, that Paul points out here, beginning in verse 15, preached Christ out of 
envy and rivalry. Down in verse 17, again, he's going to come back to this group. He's going to say the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Here's what happened in Paul's life. There were those that were Christians who were preaching the gospel of Jesus, who were genuine Christians who were eaten up with jealousy towards Paul. They were jealous of his apostolic power, his influence, his authority, his success, the giftedness that God had given him, and he wasn't this incredible articulate preacher and pastor and speaker on stage that drew thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And he points that out. He wasn't a man who was this incredibly polished communicator of God's word, but he had incredible giftedness by God. God had anointed him, and he had this apostolic power because he had seen Jesus in, in the sense that he had, 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 had been called out by Jesus himself to go and to do this work. There are those of the, uh, those who were preaching the gospel. Now we're taking advantage of Paul being in prison. We want some of that limelight. We want some of that. Paul knows it, and he sees this. They were motivated out of elevating themselves, elevating their platform. They were they, they, they were sticking it to Paul. That's what they thought. But then there were those, of course, who had this incredible um, love for Paul. They preached out of goodwill. They preached out of love. You see that in the verses that we just read. They knew why Paul was in prison, and they stood up to publicly support Paul wherever he was and wherever they were. One group sets out to hurt Paul. The other group sets out to continue the mission of Paul. Now, here's the thing. There are, these two groups are not false teachers. They're not, not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just that inside of their hearts, they have ill motives. Some were preaching for their own gain, for their own platform, that others would like them and others would do this right here. There were those of those who were not had that motive at all. Paul knows that. So this isn't about those who are out there not preaching the gospel or preaching half gospel or talking about Jesus a whole lot, but, but we're talking about grace a whole lot, but they don't extend grace, they don't explain grace, they don't explain who Jesus Christ is, or they give you this false sense of hope. That if you just give enough money, or if you just do enough this, or if you just do it, have enough faith, you'll get this, you'll get that, you'll get that. That's not what we're talking about here. Paul knows that these two groups are sincerely, genuinely preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. So what does he say? Why does he bring all of this up? Well, Paul's point in verse 18 is this. Look at the text with me. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul wasn't concerned about the motive of the heart. He also wasn't concerned in getting all worked up. He wasn't worried about what other person's, somebody's platform or somebody was getting a little bit more notoriety than Paul. He wasn't concerned about the motive. He wasn't fo focused on those things, but what he was focused on was the gospel power that these men, these individuals were preaching in the communities that they were preaching in. You see, he was concerned about whether these men were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, that God is perfect and holy. I mean, there's gospel power and understanding and clarity, having clarity, because in our culture, in our world today, you know, God is just all mixed up. There's all kinds of versions and views of who God is and who Jesus is and what's your Jesus like and what's your Jesus like. Well, my Jesus is this and your Jesus is that. My Jesus makes me feel good this today and, and this and that. My God would never, would never uh, uh, contradict or tell me I can't do this or shouldn't do this. Now, what your God said, there's all kinds of confusion in our day and age, but there is gospel power and understanding first and foremost that God is perfect and holy and he has this standard by which we are to live by. 
and who he is. And then there was gospel power in understanding who we are, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. There is gospel power in understanding that, and understanding that there is this dilemma that is between God and man, that you and I could never do enough good things. We could never be a good enough citizens in Polk County or in Livingston, or we could never give enough money to our community for something to happen or to this to happen or that to happen in order to gain acceptance in the eyes and the mind of God because of our sin. And there is gospel power in understanding that God did not leave us in that place helpless but that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die the death that you and I deserve on the cross. Because he loved us so much, Jesus was willing to go to the cross on our behalf. And there is gospel power in understanding that that is not just good enough to understand all of those things, but that what God's word says is he calls us to respond to it. To say, yes, I agree with that. I agree that I'm a sinner. I agree that God is holy. And I agree that Jesus Christ is the only way that I can have eternal life and and, and abundant life here on earth. And to surrender my life to that and allow Jesus Christ to take over my life and over my heart. You see, Paul was thinking not about someone's little platform over here. Someone's envy, someone's jealousy. He was thinking about this gospel power that was going out and people were getting saved Little slave girls and Lydia's by the, by the river and, and, and jailers and other people that were out there in the community. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I didn't care about what the person who was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ says or doesn't say or in the sense of his motive. I didn't care about whether he's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me say this to us this morning, that when it comes to our lives, we are not immune from jealousy. You are not immune from envy. You are not immune to selfish motives in life and in ministry. You see this in leadership all the time. Leaders struggle with this. Leaders struggle with someone else's platform being larger than theirs. Their church is larger than their church, or this is happening over here and this is happening over there. It's not happening for you, and then you grow envious and jealous, and you grow con- a lack of contentment begins to well up inside of you. But listen, inside of your life and inside of every, all of our lives, not just leadership, but in people's lives, there seems to be this jealousy sometimes that begins to creep in, even in ministry. You start to do something and God's blessing your ministry, but he's blessing your class, but he's not blessing this class on the surface. It looks like he's not blessing it. Or he's not blessing this group over here, or this ministry over here, or this over here. And envy and jealousy can begin to creep up into our lives. Reminded of what the Bible says in James chapter 3, says this. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't be, do not boast and be false to the truth. Listen, this is what God does not look at our hearts and want jealousy. He doesn't want envy in our hearts. We can't change the motives in the minds of other people. What matters is whether the good news of Jesus Christ is continuing to be advanced. Above all else, life and ministry, the gospel preaching is what matters. Listen, preaching Jesus, and what I mean by that is talking to people about Jesus, sharing what's going on in your life, sharing your life story, is not bound or it's limited in any way by your good circumstances or bad circumstances. In fact, it's bound in light of your circumstances. As I said a moment ago, 
there are challenges in all of our lives, aren't there? I mean, we go through struggles. Something you really invest in all of a sudden crashes and falls apart. Something you really want and you finally get, you work really hard to get, all of a sudden it's gone. Something you really, really want and you don't get it. Some kind of a disease that comes into your life, a tragedy that strikes your family. You going to school and talking about Jesus or wanting to live out publicly what you're excited about when you're around other students. Then you get there and you realize that you're in this sea of lostness. The temptation is there to say, you know what, I'm just going to be a Christian. I'm just going to focus on my circumstances. But I'm not going to use that as a platform to bear testimony about all that God has done in my life. But I want to encourage you no matter your age, no matter whether you're in good health or you're in bad health, no matter what location you find yourself in, no matter what season you find yourself in, no matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert in your personality, no matter whether you know a lot about the Bible or you know very little about the Bible, what God does is he takes you and he places you and he puts you in a place where you can be a shining light in the community and the place that he puts you. God has his hand on every Christian He puts you as a Christian in in all kinds of unique situations and scenarios and places in order to be that light to the people around you. Romans chapter 10, great passage. It's a passage that God used to call me in the ministry. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, listen, he's not, as Paul's writing this, he's not talking to professionals. He's not at a pastor's conference. This is what he says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And God puts you, puts me in unique places, in unique settings, in order to advance the gospel for him. If you were to go today to the tomb or to where Billy Graham's body has been laid to rest. He's not there. We know that. If you go to the place, a very simple, very humble little place there in North Carolina where Billy Graham, who lived to be 99 and died just a few years ago, and he, of course, had an impact on millions upon millions of lives, met presidents, met world leaders all over the, all over the world, preached all of these settings and places, you would think that his tomb would be a place that would be this incredible palatial place for everyone to come and remember the great Billy Graham. But if you go there today, what you will see is a small slab, a rock on the ground, that has his name, Billy Graham, his birth date, his death date, and a simple phrase with a simple little verse reference. Preacher of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And under it is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that passage. His life was all about simply, whether his life or ministry, he didn't want you to remember, he didn't want me to remember anything about him meeting presidents or anything of that nature. But what he wanted the world to remember was he simply did what God called him to do, is to simply share the good news of Jesus with others. 2 Corinthians says this. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, Paul says this to another church. Thanks be to God, 
who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Think about that when you go to school. When you walk into the school, Jesus Christ has already led you into the school ahead of you, triumphal procession. You go to work, whether you go home in your community, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Check this out. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. That's what you and I are called to be. That's what you and I are called to do. That is what we as a church are called to be. We're to be available for the Holy Spirit to move in us and work in us. We're to act in courage. We're to rejoice when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And even when things don't go well for us, just rejoice in it. Let's be about sharing the good news of Jesus above all in all of our life in every one of our ministries here at our church. I want you to pray with me here as we close our service out. We're going to have a time of response. This morning, what I want to ask you to do, just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. What I want to ask you to do is just simply recommit yourself to that. Hey God, I, I want to be all about pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so help me to remember that as a friend of mine likes to say, loves to say, if you've got enough of the gospel in you to be saved, you've got enough of the gospel in you to share with others. Simply that. God, would you just help me to be faithful this week to point someone to Jesus Christ, to point someone to you, God, to help me articulate what others need to hear, the truth of the good news of Jesus. Above all of our community needs, we have tons of needs in our community. Man, just look around you. Schools, neighborhoods, but above anything else our community needs, and this county needs, and this nation needs, and the world needs, they need to hear about Jesus Christ, that there is a better way. There is a better way to live life. It provides hope, that provides joy, that provides peace. So, commit yourself to that this week, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is to embrace the good news of Jesus. And he loves you so much. You saw it visibly in the baptismal waters today. You've heard it audibly today. You've seen it in the lives of people around you. But maybe God is speaking to you about giving your life to him. If you're there this morning and you're wondering whether God is speaking to you, he is. If you're wrestling with that decision, then I want you to come forward. Just tell me. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to come forward and just tell me. Tell us here at our church. We've got people to pray with you and minister to you. If you want to join our church or be baptized when we're baptizing next, come forward. Just let us know. What is God saying to you this morning? I have the courage to respond to him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing this morning. God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your good news. And we pray that you would help us to share it with others. Help us to live it out in our life. And we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Let's sing. Let's worship together. Well, I hear.
safe, safe, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, You can be seated this morning. Just a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to give as we leave today. Just a couple other things we're going to do um, before we close our service out. But um, I want to remind you, um, well, I want to not remind you, I want to let you know, we've got a fall festival coming up at the end of October. I know that's a quick transition, but we've got a fall festival. You see it in their bulletin there today. Um, we have done a trunk or treat in the past. This year we're going to do a fall festival. It's going to be on the Sunday right before the October 31st. It'll be October 29th that evening. You see the details that are in there in your bulletin today. And we have some needs that we have available that we've been working on behind the scenes. So um, 
you, you'll get information about that. But if, um, yeah, there's some of those needs. If you want to serve, we need you to serve. We also need candy. We need some, if you want to give towards some, something like that, you can do that. But that's coming up, and uh, we'll be talking about that over the next several weeks. So we want to make sure that it's going to be our, one of our big fall outreaches in our community. And we're going to be reaching folks and families in our community and hopefully uh, sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ as we have a lot of fun along the way, okay? And so that's coming up at the end of October. Hey, listen, I want you to pray for our students, our teenagers, and children at uh, uh, this particular Wednesday morning. It is called See You at the Pole, and if you're familiar with that event, it's a national event that focuses, it's all student-led, but uh, where students, uh, children around ele- uh, elementary school flagpoles and middle school, junior high, and high school are gathering to pray for their schools, pray for their teachers, pray for our community, and would you pray for our students as they take part in that? That'll be Wednesday morning um, around hopefully, Lord willing, all of our flagpoles in the city. And then uh, that evening, we're going to be celebrating and praying for, um, for our community in that student group, okay? So be praying for that, all right? Um, the other thing I want to just mention, of course, is our giving. So let's continue to give. Let's be faithful to give our tithes and our offerings. If you're a little behind on that, let's get caught up. Let's keep giving faithfully. Let's keep giving over and above our tithing to some offerings. Speaking of which, we're $5 short. Do you see that of our goal? of our goal to our uh, Texas missions offering. And so, hey, $5. We're going we're gonna to blow that out of the water here soon. But anyway, just coming into this morning, we were $5 short of that goal. Um, we're still, uh, people are still giving. If you'd like to give to that missions offering, you can give today and, um, and we'll get that all together and get that over to, uh, to some great work that God's doing in our state, okay? You can give today. You also, if you have a prayer request or you have a card that... Um, uh, you filled out in the service today as a guest. You can drop that in the boxes as you leave today. You can also give that to me if you would like um, before the uh, service is over, okay? Let me introduce a few folks to you. Let me come on up here. Let me remember your name. That's right, Gina. Okay, Gina is coming. She's coming to join our church. She's been in our community for a while, and y'all celebrate that. So she'll be starting the process of joining, and so we're excited. And then those who are baptized, come on forward. I've got a small baptism certificate. Yeah, they're on their way down. They know. So two ladies, where's Ronaldo at? There he is. He's running down the aisle. That's okay to run. All right, ladies. Okay, let's see. We got that for you, that for you. And this for you. All right. You guys celebrate one more time. These three students have given their lives to Christ. Yeah. All right. Gina, come on up here for one more time. We're just going to pray over them. And uh, uh, you make sure you just say a word of encouragement to them as, as you leave today, okay? Some of you can, can stop by and do that. But let's pray. Father, thank you for our service this morning. Thank you for all that you've done in our service today. Lord, would you just point us to people who need Jesus Christ in our city, in our community. Help us to be a faithful church to share the light of Jesus with others. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.
Jesus Christ. 